Thanks for listening to The Vine's podcast. The Vine is a church in Austin, Texas, with the simple goal of following Jesus together. And we hope this message helps you in doing just that. Our scripture reading today is Matthew 5, verse 4. Listen now to the word of the Lord. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. This is the word of the Lord. Shortest scripture reading of our, of our church. There you go. The reason why we're doing this is we are in uh, a series on the Beatitudes. This is the second Beatitude that comes, uh, it's a, another word for blessing, a second blessing that we have in Jesus' most famous sermon, the Sermon on the Mount. It's funny, m- many biblical scholars, they put Jesus' Sermon on the Mount and the experience that Moses had with the Ten Commandments side by side. They see a lot of comparison, a lot of things that are, are, are linked to one another in these two different things. Both of these are fundamental statements of God that come from mountaintops. We see that. We also find in the Ten Commandments, is, this is really one of the ways in which we summarize the Old Testament. One of the greatest gifts of the Old Testament are these Ten Commandments. And here we find uh, many people summarize the Gospel, the New Testament, with the Sermon on the Mount that Jesus gave. But we also see how very different these two uh, declarations are. In the Ten Commandments, we find very strict rules. We find the shalls. Shall do this, shall not do this. And here in the Beatitudes, it's very different. They're, they're less uh, firm. They're, they're more, they invite us to really explore and to consider what are the meanings of these blessings, these unexpected blessings. It's almost as in these Beatitudes, we're invited to experience a blessed life. And rather than being given clear moral duties, these things we can just tick off of things we should do and don't don't do, we find instead this, this invitation, room to explore what Jesus could mean in this blessed life. Uh, Steve Weens, who's actually going to be here in a couple weeks with that spiritual disciplines workshop, he, he has a podcast around the spiritual practices and disciplines, and, and he was talking about Beatitudes recently, and he said one of the worst things we can do about the, with the Beatitudes is to make them another religious duty list, things we just have to do. Instead, we should consider these Beatitudes as Jesus' statements of where he uniquely exists. Where God uniquely is waiting for us. So when we hear, blessed are are those who are poor in spirit, those who feel like they're at the very end of their line, they should be able to know without a doubt that God is on their side. For those who are in a season and time of mourning, you you need to know that God is with you, that God is near. This is helpful because for us, the idea of, Blessing and mourning, those two terms don't go hand in hand to us in our culture. It's like the opposite. Blessed are those who don't have to mourn, right? Yet instead, Jesus flips things upside down and says, for those who are in mourning, know that there is a blessing for you. If you're familiar with the Bible, you know that God draws close to those who mourn. Throughout all of Scripture, just take this for, for instance, um, Jesus' very first sermon in Luke 4, the very first public declaration he did, he went into the temple, he, he pulled out a scroll from Isaiah 61 and unrolled it, 
And this is how he was going to introduce himself to everyone. How he was going to introduce this work that he was going to be doing in this world. He uh, unraveled Isaiah 61. This is what Isaiah 61, 1 through 3 says. The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives, to comfort all who mourn, and to provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness, firmly planted oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of His splendor. Do we see here that Jesus had a ministry for those who were mourning, in despair, those who were filled with sorrow? This is why Jesus came. This is who God is. God is a comforter. God hears the cries of His people and He longs to bring about healing and comfort and rest. In a book called Lament for His Son, Nicholas Wolderstoff, he was a Yale professor who lost his son in a mountain climbing accident. He explained it like this through his own experience. God is not only the God of the sufferers, but the God who suffers. The pain and fallenness of humanity have entered into his heart. Through the prism of my tears, I have seen a suffering God. It is said of God that no one can behold his face and live. I always thought this meant that no one could see his splendor and live. A friend said perhaps it meant that no one could see his sorrow and live. For perhaps his sorrow is splendor. This changes how we perceive who God is. God is not just the God of those who are mourning, but God who mourns with us. And in doing so, we find comfort. The one God is the God of the sufferers who chooses to suffer alongside of us. And suffering can come in many different forms. Mourning comes in many different forms. Obviously, there's the mourning of losing a loved one. But there's others types of death in our life, is there not? There's the loss of a relationship, a loss of job, a loss of security. Maybe a season of your life is ending. I remember a very good friend of mine, he, he had a second of two daughters, was leaving, and he, he was really mourning being an empty nester, entering into that season of life. I have other friends who have the opposite experience, but that's for a different day. There's a loss in our, sometimes when our roles change in our, in our life. I know many of you are starting to care for your elderly parent. There's a loss in that. There's a loss when dreams die. Our life will be marked by loss, dead ends, and death. And Jesus says there's a blessing, a beatitude, that, is in, that invites all of that to bring, to bring it to Him. Yet we, unfortunately, sometimes we're so ill-equipped to mourn well. Where do we learn how to mourn? Who teaches us how to mourn well? I don't think we're taught that. So we have to look to Scripture. We have to look to God. And sometimes God teaches us in really bizarre 
places. I was taught a, a lesson about mourning from an unlikely source many years ago from Pixar. Like many of Pixar movies, they did this like bait and switch where I thought, oh, just watch a lighthearted movie, have fun with the kids, and next thing I know, I'm like, don't look at daddy, don't look at daddy, he's fine. I was watching a movie called Inside Out, who's seen that movie? Oh my goodness. Uh, it's another trick that Pixar played on us adults. Uh, it's a story about a girl named Riley, and Riley had a perfect, wonderful childhood in Minnesota. Before, all of this is before her dad accepted a job in San Francisco, of all places. And once they arrived there, the once accessible father became a bit of a workaholic. He had to prove himself there and wasn't around much. And so this sweet little Riley was in the season of loss. And the genius of this movie is that it pops the hood of our emotions. It pops the, the hood of this one girl named Riley, and it shows the emotions that were going on inside of her. And they were depicted by different characters. There's a persona for each of her emotions, like there is a persona for anger and disgust and fear and joy right there in the middle. And of course, there's the, the character of sadness. The main character of Riley's life was that of joy, the illuminescent joy right there. And the humor of this story was watching these characters fight for whoever got to be behind the steering wheel, whoever was going to be, to be in charge of that moment. And each of them had uh, a time where they would be in, in charge, all but sadness. Because Riley had learned that to be sad was bad. So sadness was uh, the emotion that was put in, way in the back seat. And so when she would have these experiences in her life, each time that she would have a memory made, it was like this uh, colored marble was created, it was produced. And whatever emotion was in control, it was that color. So as you can tell, there's joy marking all of her life. And that picture right there is a, it's a picture of a blessed life, right? Nothing but joy almost. But Riley was in this time of mourning. And she had not learned to actually experience sadness. And because of that, because sadness was quarantined, it was locked in the jazz janitor's closet, if you will, um, her life was falling apart. As this little girl went from this balanced whole person, she begins to fall apart, and she ends up in this one scene. Um, she actually decided to run away from home. So we're going to watch the scene, all right? What this movie is depicting so beautifully and, and poetically is it's depicting the fact that wholeness and healing involves sorrow and sadness. Wholeness and, and I'm sorry, I, didn't, I did not put it together. We're having Senior Sunday on this same day we're showing this. <laughs> Brutal of me. Sorry about that. <laughs> uh, healing doesn't happen by blowing sunshine and joy at the hard and difficult things in our life. Becoming whole doesn't happen when we've learned just to bury sadness and mourning deeper in us. Uh, if we do that, we become shells of people, hollow and happy. We don't become whole. And the simple truth is that the way for us to experience comfort, true comfort, is for us to be whole people, and that involves learning how to mourn well. Jesus would interject in this moment, Blessed are those who mourn, who really mourn, who face their loss and they take it to God. 
And the sad truth that I've experienced in my own life is there might not be a place where sadness and loss are as rare as in church when we gather. It doesn't, it's, it makes me so sad that for us to bring our whole selves in worship sometimes, this is the rarest place for us to deal with sorrow with each other. We feel this pressure oftentimes in our life. When we come into the community of God's people, we have to have like this spray tan of joy on us. When we come together, we, 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 we oh, how are you doing? Oh, I'm so blessed. And, you know, we just have to learn to, to have our act together. God forbid that sorrow and depression and remorse might find their way into our pews and end in our worship. And what, why this drives me crazy is that our Scripture is full not only of praises of elation and gratitude, but there are whole sections of our Bible that, in our holy canon that are written around words of lament and of sorrow, of questions, the guttural pain of mourning and loss. And if Holy Scripture contains these words, why in the world are we not feeling free to even use these words and bring it to God and to one another? I think many of us are afraid to do what the Bible is trying to do for us. That sadness and mourning, they're a part of the scope of Scripture because this a part it's a, of the scope of our life. And it teaches us that it shows us the way to experience the God who is the God of comfort. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. God's wisdom is having this text in our Scripture not only so that we bring ourselves to Him, but also that we would know that in doing this, it's holy. It's sacred. To go to God with our tear-filled, white-knuckled, doubt-wrapped songs of sorrow is a sacred endeavor. To mourn is good. It's good for our souls. It's blessed. And here are a couple truths that I know about. If we learn how to mourn well, if we learn how to mourn well, here are a couple truths that I've experienced in Scripture as well as in my life. A place where people can't be honest is a place where people can't be made whole. Sadness and mourning is the doorway by which we enter into healing. It waits us. We don't, when we don't vulnerably experience sorrow, when if, we, if we aren't willing to be filled with courage to follow Christ into the chapters of our life that we dare not think about, we're not being made whole. I think many of us, we're afraid of opening up the door of those painful experiences in our past to really to walk with God into them, to walk with each other in them. And in doing that, we are hiding from our vulnerability. We're undercutting God's handiwork of comfort and restoration. Healing happens in honesty. Therefore, we must be people who invite others into our world into the courageous work of being made fully known. This includes the quiet pains that we, that we carry in our life. Truth about mourning is a, it's a place where people can't be honest. It's a place where people can't be made whole. Secondly, uh, mourning is a part of following Jesus. When we hold back from mourning, we miss out on experiencing who Jesus is. When Isaiah spoke of 
uh, uh, the words of prophecy about the coming Savior in Jesus, he chose an odd description. This is in Isaiah 53. He said this, He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering. This is who the Messiah would be, the all-powerful Messiah, would be a man of suffering, familiar with pain, like one from whom people hide their faces. He will be despised and, and be held in low esteem. For us to experience the fullness of Jesus, Jesus will meet us not only in the mountaintop of our experiences, but we will also meet the Savior of sorrow. He will meet, meet us in the pit of despair. And the same way in which Jesus led his disciples up to this mountaintop to hear these words of Beatitudes, Jesus would then lead them down the mountain into the pain, the sorrow, the hurt, the doubt, the struggle of this world. And eventually he would, fall, he would lead him all the way down into his cross, showing him that this is a part of the human experience, this is part of the Savior's experience. And there will be an unexpected blessing in our mourning because Jesus will always be there. Third, when you aren't willing to mourn, you miss out on the unwelcome privilege. What is this idea of the unwelcome privilege? For me, it's something I've been thinking about as I'm preparing for this is those people in my life who I've seen walk through real mourning, the type of guttural mourning of having something stripped from them, their lives are marked by really deep pain, but also really deep intimacy with Christ. And people I've walked with, um, it's an interesting thing to talk to them about the seasons of life where they've experienced mourning, they look back and they talked to a family member recently. She said, I wouldn't wish this on anyone, but I look back back at my loss and it's blessing. Because there is intimacy with Christ. When I look back, when I, uh, I didn't know how to take another step, God had to teach me how to take another step. Slowly and surely, I realized that God was faithful, trustworthy, that he could give me enough to get me through today. And in talking to them, this person, they said, I actually, I miss it. I miss it. This unwelcome privilege of needing a Savior for right now. Many of us, we might believe that Jesus is a comforter. For those who've experienced the unwelcome privilege, they know him. They know him. They've experienced promises that were given that the only way that they can make it through today was that promise. I I need this promise today. There's a sweetness in that. So in in part, I think that's why Jesus said there's a blessing when you mourn. I'm going to be there. The unwelcome privilege. The fourth truth that I've experienced around mourning is that following Christ means mourning in community. It doesn't just mean us mourning with God. It's just one, it also involves a community. One of the truths that I know about committing yourself to a church is this. You will experience more celebrations than you ever would if you would walk alone. But you will also experience more sorrow than if you were to walk alone. More pain than if you were to go alone. This is the incredible privilege about being a church together, a community together, and and I sure hope that the vine, we're going to be this for each other, is we take turns for one another. This is the simple truth that we have is in in reality of this, we just take turns for one another. 
one day I will visit you in the hospital, and one day you're going to visit me. And so it is. One day you will worship at someone in this room, their funeral, and one day someone in this room, they will worship at your funeral. This is the joy and the privilege about being a part of Christ's community. We get to carry each other's burdens, and in doing so, we fulfill the law of Jesus. And as we carry each other's burdens, something amazing happens. A story goes, this uh, woman once had a heartbreaking experience of, of losing a child. And so in her village, she went to the wise, the wise man's home and said, I, I, I need you to take this heartache away. So the wise man thought for a while and said, okay, I need you to do something for me. I want you to go into her village and I need one cup of mustard seeds. But here's the rule. You can only take one tablespoon per home. And the woman looked at him, perplexed, and left. The student was right there next to this wise man and said, what are you going to do with the mustard seeds? And the wise man said, we won't see this woman again. She doesn't need the mustard seeds. What happened was woman started going house to house, asking, I, I need a tablespoon of mustard seeds. And what would be the question someone would ask? For what? And then all of a sudden, this woman would share her story of loss. And the people in that home started sharing their stories of loss as well. She realized that every home she visited experienced sorrow and loss. Every home that she visited had mourned. And slowly and surely, as she experienced the mourning within community, she was healed. She was made whole. This is the privilege that we get to be for one another is the fact that we find comfort and companionship where two or more are gathered there, Christ is. And I think that's especially for those who are mourning. When we mourn together, there Christ is. There's comfort and companionship. This is the way of Jesus. This is the way for us as well. This is the way not only for us now, but this is the, will be your sure eternal state. Here's, we talked about Jesus' first, first sermon. Here's his last sermon, Revelation 21. Uh, Revelation 21. A new heaven and a new earth will be made. The first heaven, the first earth has passed away. There's no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem coming down from heaven, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among people, and He will dwell with them, and they will be His people, and God Himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eye. There will be no, will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who's seated on the throne, Jesus, His final words, He says this, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. This is who Jesus is. He's a comforter. He's a comforter not only in this side of life, but he will be the comforter in the next side of life. He will bring about a state for us where there will be no more mourning, sorrow, no more need for tears, for we will experience comfort in full. And I wonder if, 
For those who are season, in a season right now where you have lost something, I wonder if Jesus, just like he climbed up on that hillside and 2,000 years ago and saw this crowd and he saw their need for the blessing of comfort in the midst of mourning, I wonder what he would see in your life today. I wonder if, if Jesus was here today, if he would look upon this gathering and filled with compassion, say that there is a blessing when you come with, to me with your mourning for I will be there and wherever I am, there is comfort.